0: Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products. That save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai, and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND, at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. you're wanting to know more about saddle hunting, well, check out TetheredNation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southerngroundhunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southerngroundhunting. And now, let's get to the show. Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We've partnered with the social media platform, Go Wild, to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women and by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you start to unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free stuff, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. We are kicking off. Turkey season. Adams got his NWTF hat on, ready to go. Representing.
2: Just, yep.
1: I mean, do you have your your uh your snake gators on too?
2: <laughs> no, but I have them very close by. and I got my turkey vest full.
1: <laughs> oh man, it's ready. I'm so fired up, man. This is uh this is going to be a really fun turkey season. And um you know, we just kind of NWTF uh convention All that stuff just happened. Uh, Adam, you got to go, right?
2: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I try to go on Fridays and not Saturdays because on Saturdays, it's a circus for anyone that's ever been. Uh, If you're concerned about COVID, you will walk away probably (laughs) with uh, coming into (laughs) contact many, many times with COVID on the Saturday show. Uh, Friday's (laughs) not too bad. So I always recommend that to people coming from out of town.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Matt, did you get to go? wtf this year no I didn't
3: that's been something I've always wanted to do but never never been able to something always comes up do something the week prior but I got to see a lot of things that you know Adam was telling us about as he went we kind of lived through him through the through the
1: whole deal it was rough man it seems like it's every year it's right on my daughter's birthday like the weekend that we have that we do her party is nwtf weekend and so I never get to go but it is kind of a nice little marker in time for us to start getting fired up even more. Because that means it's close. Now, I was pretty much fired up for turkeys whenever deer season ended. I shifted fast this year. I was like, all right, let's go. I was like ready in like December. Like, let's turkey hunt. Uh, but the, the moment that it really hit was when I was in Florida and I heard two birds gobbling early one morning. I was like, ooh, this is this is awesome so go
3: go go chase them in deer season yeah just call them up watch them
1: yep y- yeah. y- I've been able to like almost walk right up to them like during turkey season I almost never just have situations where I have a shot opportunity because I'm just walking through the woods like that hardly ever happens during deer season it's like you walk up over a rise and they're like 10 feet away You're like well I could have shot that one and that one and that one and that one with a bow. Um, so I'm super excited, though, about turkey season. I'm excited to get started with turkey season podcast, but I've been kind of sitting around. We've been tossing around a few ideas on how to start with turkey season episodes. And I happened on a video that I sent you guys, um, I guess, last week uh, from a yeah. company called Afflictor Broadheads. And this dude was talking about turkey eyesight. That was like the whole – it was a, a short video – I learned a ton and I sent it to you guys like we need to get this dude on. So, we are joined by Chris Creed from Afflictor Broadhead Broadheads. How's it going Chris in Ohio?
4: It's going great. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely, man. I got to tell you, like everybody I've shown that video to was amazed at how much they learned in that short amount of time. Yeah, Good. that's
4: the point is, you know, education from a little bit different perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was it was informative. Now, um, I'm gonna uh, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of turkey. I don't know if you'd call it turkey biology. Um, just kind of a quick run, not a quick rundown, a, a podcast worth of running down, like some really in depth stuff about. Uh, I know you talked about like turkey's digestion, digestive system um, using some, some things to kind of help you out for the future, uh, for a future hunt, you know, um, by checking out a turkeys, uh, their, their crop and their gizzards and stuff like that. Um, but then also the, the eyesight and stuff and really anything else that you have to, uh, to talk about. So before we get into the, into the conversation, tell me a little bit about this is your time to just kind of pimp out Afflictor Broadheads. Tell me a little bit about what you do and, uh, and kind of what brings you into the, into the hunting industry.
4: Sure. Well, I'm, I'm the director of sales and marketing for Flicker Broadheads. I've been in that position for about six years. Prior to that, um, I was co-owner of a company where we were in the hunting and fishing industry basically doing consulting, helping uh, new products come to market, um, even manufacturing, develop marketing plans, um, all the way taking that product to Bass Pro. Um, at an ATA show one, one year, uh, the owner of Fletcher Broadheads showed up and said, I, I heard you could help me market my Broadheads. And that developed into a really neat relationship. Uh, so I've been in the industry for over 20 years. But as far as being in the outdoors, I was one of those country kids that, you know, at five, I had a 22, you know. And so I was outside, hunt and fish, camped all the time. I don't know anything else. I've never watched a whole football game in my life. Um, But if you want to know what shape a a gobbler's poop is, so you can (laughs) decide whether that's a gobbler by its poop, I can tell you. (laughs) So some people that's useless trivia, but to me, that's, uh, you know, fun stuff. So
1: I think everybody's interested to know first and foremost, how do you tell a gobbler's poop? (laughs) Tell me, tell me about (laughs) that shape. I want to know. I want to know if what I've been thinking for all these years is correct.
4: a gobbler. Always be in the kind of the shape of a J. So if you want to think J, Jake, Jake is a male turkey, and you can get it that way. Females almost always poop. It looks like a honey bun. It'll be a round little, like the honey bun cereal with a little white dollop on top sometimes. And uh, that's just because males lack an anal sphincter, uh, if you will. And a female has the ability to hold... Uh, her bowel movement, because she wants to poop away from the nest, right? She doesn't want predators to find her, so they hold it longer. It contains more moisture, and when she goes, she will dollop a little plop like a honey bun. So that is the easiest way to tell <laughs> the difference.
1: <laughs> I, I, don't, I feel like maybe you just ruined honey buns for me. <laughs> I mean, wait, don't don't d- don't take
3: my honey buns away, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't live without them.
1: Well, I, I got to say, I'm grateful that God didn't put a sphincter in our anal, um, which I guess he did, didn't he?
4: Yeah, you can
1: So we do, but for whatever reason, wild turkeys don't.
4: Yeah, the gobbler, I mean, it's rudimentary, okay, as compared to the female structure being able to hold and, you know, it's, it's just functions different. That's
1: a pretty amazing fact.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's, that's a little bit of trivia. I've heard hunters say you can't really tell, like. A, a hen could poop jet like the J shape. I've heard hunters say that now. I've got like the nerd facts to go with yep. it be like, no, because you they don't have a sphincter, <laughs> gobbler does not have a sphincter. I <laughs> know,
1: and I do
2: have a sphincter,
1: so <laughs> yes. and then you could just go off on a huge tangent. We need to learn more information about this, this sphincter that uh that we've just learned about. No, but I mean, like those kind of facts that's that's basically what I was talking about, about like. You hear guys say, turkeys can see good. Well, tell me why they can see good. Tell me, you know, how, what's their their ma- the makeup of their uh, of their eyes, you know. And you, you go really into depth, just like you did about that, about poop. You, you hear guys say, I've heard for a long time, you know, if you see a J-shaped poop, that's a male turkey. Um, but... There's really never been like an explanation. Adam, you've been in the turkey hunting world a long time. Have you heard that before?
2: I've never, well, obviously like the shape of the poop. Yes. That a gobbler doesn't have a sphincter. No, didn't know that. I didn't realize (laughs) that. I didn't know the why. And sometimes, I mean, this could go for any facet of life. We don't ask the right questions and asking the why probably 20 years ago would have been a good thing for me. Like why, why the J shape?
4: And no one probably yeah, could have told just me that. not as specialized developed as the female. That's right? so, yeah.
2: all. Now, yeah. did you go to
1: did you go to school for any of this stuff in any type of, uh... you know,
4: I, I didn't. I mean, my my entrance into the world after college was all medical. Um, you know, I graduated with a degree in radiology and emergency medicine. I was an EMT fireman. So the, the medical side of the stuff was really familiar to me. What really got me into turkeys is the inability to kill one for so long. So I started turkey hunting when I was 13 in Northeast Ohio, when I was 13, there was no birds here. They were in small pockets here and there. You had to go to Pennsylvania uh, to get a turkey. And so by 14, 15, I was getting transferred to Pennsylvania by my parents and grandparents trying to find a turkey. It took me seven years to kill a turkey. I was 20 years old. And so that is what sparked all this what had I been doing wrong? how can I fix this? what can I learn on the medical side that might help me on the hunting side and so that started the the infatuation plus I just love them they're my favorite animal to hunt if I had to pick one animal to hunt all the time it would be turkeys hands down uh, so that's what that's how it really got started
1: that's uh, i've I feel like I've heard, This story from a lot of people who are extra knowledgeable about um, once a specific thing, I'm sure you're smarter, you're smart about other things other than just turkeys. But when we're talking to a guy like uh, uh, Ranch Ferry, we're talking to Troy Fowler from uh, from the Ranch Ferry channel, he starts talking about, you know, the reason why I learned all of this, this really in-depth information uh, was because of pig hunting. And he wanted to kill pigs. And he's like, why am I not killing these pigs that I'm shooting? And so he just learned all the just the minute details, I guess, that are end up being big things in the long run. And so I, I think that's really cool and, and a, a pretty neat thing that I see with a lot of people who are especially knowledgeable about one specific thing and very in depth. So um, so you didn't go to school for this. You didn't. Uh, really, you didn't kill a turkey until you were 20 years old, um. So you've been, what, what was like the first thing for you that, like, really clicked that you feel like, uh, you know, maybe it led to that first turkey kill, or, uh, was it was it before you ever actually killed one that you kind of started really in depth learning about them?
4: Yeah, it was, and it and that definitely it changed the way I hunted turkeys, you know, because we had low populations here and where I started, it was rare to even hear a bird back then. And then once you had one sighted, uh, of course, everybody else in the woods was after that small flock of turkeys. So um, they were really, you know, well-trained birds. They were educated, right? And so, you know, right out of the gate, I started learning how important Patience and movement. You know, their eyesight is their number one defense, hands down. If turkeys could smell, we'd never kill one, right? Um, uh-huh. They're just that specialized of an animal. But their eyesight is certainly their number one defense. And and once I learned that, it definitely, along with patience, helped me become a better turkey hunter.
1: I want to dive into that into eyesight. We'll just start off right there. I think because, um, you know, when you think about the number one thing that when it comes to turkey hunting, more important than sound, more important than, you know, access, obviously more important than smell. The number one thing is don't move. If they can see you, they will see you. You know what I mean? Like they're in eyesight, they will see. Um, Tell me a little bit about the breakdown of, of why that is. Why can they
4: see so good? Well, their eyes are on the side of their heads. And so they see in monocular vision and telescopically at the same time, and then their brain assembles that information. And all that is encompassed on the side of their head, allows them to see 270 degrees. So the only thing they can't see is a really small cone angle directly behind the center of the back of their head. But with a teeny tiny two millimeter movement, they now can see that behind their head. And so basically, you can kind of consider if you want, unless that turkey's head is behind a tree or their tail fan, you can get busted with any movement at any time. Even if they look like they're walking directly away from you, if their head is canted slightly, they got you. Uh, so that, that defense mechanism is massive. And once I got down, that because how many times if a turkey's walking away from me, you think you can adjust, or you've held your gun for so long and, oh, I got to drop it down. Or maybe I can pull my bow back or something. And all of a sudden they're gone. You're like, how did they see me? It's because they can almost literally see directly behind them.
1: All right. So <laughs> I, I've, I've, uh, I've seen like illustrations of like antelope where their, their eyes are so far back in their head that they can put are pretty much coming straight out of their eyes and they can see so far uh, or so, so far around them. Um You, you talked about, uh, did you say they have monocular vision? Is that the word you use?
4: Telescopic both. Yeah. So, but if you can imagine a single monocular telescope and when you look through it, how you can see several hundred yards And everything becomes clear to you in that 700-yard field of view. That's the same thing as a turkey is seeing. So at 100 yards, you are an easy, easy target when you move. Piece of cake for them. That distance is nothing because it's telescopic and monocular. And they got two of them going different ways at the same time. And their brain assembles that information. So it's really, really, you know... It's a tough system to beat. How have I ever? How, how
1: have I killed one? That's what I'm like sitting here like. <laughs> how have I? How have I ever even got lucky on one?
4: Well, because I, I wanna... fortunately, there's always a uh, real frisky two year old turkey that's just ready to die. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's good. I like those.
2: <laughs> well, I also want to throw a scenario at you. You know, there have been times where I've been set up sort of on a field edge. You got a lot of field birds, unfortunately, and you got a bird that's 75 yards. And I think they've probably spotted me. And that's one of the reasons that they're hung up. Maybe I twitched, maybe I moved, but then I've also got the same field bird like that. If I have shin high grass, I can low belly crawl all the way up on that doggone thing. I've got some got people listening, like, who is this jackleg?" Don't be doing that. But yeah, I mean, I've ninja'd on plenty of turkeys and it's absolutely possible. How do you get away with one scenario, but not the other? That's the thing that always boggles my mind. And and you are taking all terrains into consideration. Is that something you've experienced or just been like shook your head at when you've seen things well, happen?
4: Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. And it, I think that a, a lot of that has to do with the individual bird. Um, You know, if you're in an area that's been hunted, public land, a bird that's already had some pressure, even a bird that's been pre-scouted right before hunting season, that's a different turkey than one that has not been called to, touched, seen, heard, or cared about people. there are two totally different animals. Um, Now, can a turkey drop its guard for whatever reason? Yeah, but it's really rare. It's really rare. I mean, their whole survival is based on not taking a second chance. Right. Um, but I believe that it's just about that individual bird. I have a good friend who taught me a lot about Turkey hunting and he just says, when a Turkey is ready to die, it's ready to die. That's his statement. And it's, it's kind of a true statement if you think about it um, because why else would you have that kind of a scenario where yeah. you did this, this way one time and it was fine. You did it this way the other time. And it was totally opposite but I think it is all bird dependent.
3: Yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, I'm going to throw another question to you as well. Um, we say, you know, their eyesight's great, how good they can see, the movement they can see. But I've heard stories of people, you know, walking down roads and say they had a uh, a black jacket on or something, and they knelt down. This is actually, this happened to a guy. He knelt down and the bird actually started running towards him, thinking he was another turkey Well. Clearly, he he doesn't look like a turkey except for the black, you know, his black shirt. So my question would be, you know, what what's triggering that turkey? I know, like you said, it depends on what bird it is, each individual bird, and if they're ready to die. That one was probably, you know, overdue on his death date. But uh, just are, are, is their vision clear, uh, kind of like ours, or is it just a little blurry, kind of just if you can go into that, that'd be great.
4: Well, I'll answer the first part of that question by saying, have you seen the videos of the turkeys attacking the mailman, the kids at the school bus, the lady walking through the park? That's the mm-hmm. same reason that they attack you in the woods when you're wearing a black vest hunkered down. It That is an aggressive thing. That is not them thinking, I need to be scared to the death of what I'm seeing. It's, you're in my territory. I'm coming to battle you out. I want you okay. out of here. So that's how, that's how I've always seen that scenario because you wonder, are there's just some turkeys that are that dumb? I just think Mm -hmm. there's some turkeys that are just become that aggressive. Um, And again, usually if you watch those videos, it's that two-year-old turkey, you know, he thinks he can do anything and get away with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the reason that that eyesight is so specialized, so we have um, one rod and three cones in our eye and rod is night vision, and if you think of cones color, the C, uh, that's color vision. Well, turkeys have the same kind of night vision, roughly as we do with the um, one rod, but they have six cones, and out of those six cones, two of them are split and specialized into other functions, and one of those functions is that one cone that split sees it 400 nanometers, and people are like, oh, let's get technical here. Well, why is that important? 400 nanometers is the ultraviolet spectrum. And so for me, there was oftentimes I was always wondering, why did I get busted? I didn't move. And that turkey is looking right at me and just isn't happy. Is it my setup? Is there something glaring off the sun? What's really going on here? And it took me a while, but I correlated that to me having UV brighteners in my clothing. I'm an instant target. So I'm now not camouflaged. I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. So just like a bee or a hummingbird uses ultraviolet to find the flowers with the highest nectar content, um, turkeys use UV uh, to help them find some of the most succulent foods like clovers that are high in nectar and different things like that. But it also helps them with breeding because their, their feathers also reflect uh, that UV. But that alone allows us to be picked out so it's their you know even their color and uh their night vision is specialized not night vision not so much color they are sharp as tacks so you've got this monocular telescopic vision they can see a long way in great detail and they can see three times greater than 2020 <laughs> so if that helps you put it into perspective it's three times greater than 2020.
2: How enhanced is our color when we've got these UV brighteners on? I mean, are we glowing?
4: We're like glowing. A... We're glowing. If if what science has said about ultraviolet is really true and correlated that at that spectrum with turkeys, when we have UV brighteners, we're glowing. So we, how do I... we
3: know if we have UV
2: brighteners? <laughs>
4: <laughs> You'd have to hit your clothes with an ultraviolet light and see if you glow. Most exactly. camouflage now... You know, it it is definitely, you know, they don't have UV brighteners. If you remember the old days, you used to have to buy special shampoos to get the ultraviolet out of your clothes. I don't know. You guys are all basically kids. So <laughs> four, Adam, I'm almost Adam, 40. I, I Adam's know. older than he looks. <laughs> <laughs> but appreciate it. So, you know, uh, we used to have to treat our clothes all the time. Well, now those UV brighteners aren't included, especially in the high end camos, if you will. So you really don't have to worry about it, but it's worth checking, uh, you know, just to double check. Ground blinds used to come with UV brighteners, you know, so like how, you know, you can pop a ground blind in the middle of the field and usually a turkey doesn't care about it. And then in the old days, you could pop a ground blind up, and the turkeys wouldn't get anywhere near it forever. It's because it was like a just a giant glowing ball in the field.
1: Would it be? Would it be like similar to that of like? Would it be like a black light? Like looking at something under a black light? That's yes. kind of how they're seeing it. Yes, magnified. That's wild. Now, I don't know anything about UV. Probably I should know more about it. Apparently, if I'm going to be a turkey hunter. Um, but is there like a good? Like if somebody doesn't have uh, a UV light to put it under or whatever, is there a way to ensure like, is there like UV, I don't know, dampeners that you there can shampoos.
4: buy? There's different, there's, there's uh scent free shampoos that are anti UV to take that the brightener out of it. Yeah. Cause you ultraviolet brighteners just help colors pop to our eye. Even though we don't see ultraviolet, that's beyond our spectrum. You know, we get it also correlates into sharper colors for us in a lesser degree, even though we don't see that actual color. And so but like I said, it's generally not a big problem anymore.
1: It feels like I, w- I need to go like wash all my clothes in some like UV dampener type. Well, you know, wash. what
4: I'm giving you is excuses. Mm-hmm. OK, so, all of this is about giving you guys excuses. At the end of the hunt, it failed, everything went bad. And you're like, I knew I should have checked for UV. And
1: <laughs> It was the Deckham <laughs> UV. The yeah, blind I'm thing got black
4: me. light right now. Yeah, seriously.
2: Uh, you've probably sold at least uh, 20 black lights after this podcast is over, <laughs> or UV lights,
4: whatever they call need called. a promo code. <laughs> Seriously. Well, it just so happens on a Flicker's website. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> go back to there.
3: Um, real quick, I want to just go back to what you said earlier about uh, throwing a ground blind up for turkeys and whatnot. I know in my experience with deer, if I throw a ground blind up and it's not sitting there for months, you know, they're like, hey, what the heck is that? That kind of goes back to an old, I don't know if it's just an old tale that I've heard about turkeys. You know, they know, well, this is. this is just, you know, hearsay. They know each individual tree in the woods. They know w- when you call exactly where they are. Wouldn't they know that that ground bond is a little out of place if it's looking just, I, I know it's camouflage, but camouflage can only do so much. But do, I mean, hesitation or anything from
4: that? Most often not. Now, occasionally, again, you get that three, four, five-year-old bird that's been chased and it's been well-educated. You may, you may see that they are going to, not want to come around a ground blind that's freshly put out, but most of the time it doesn't seem to be offensive uh, to the turkeys. And if you do a little bit, you know, I know guys will put it up. Well, the turkeys are in the middle of this cut corn field every day at nine o'clock and they put their blind literally in the middle of the cut corn and they're successful. Um, I like to, you know, hide mine a little and camouflage. So I at least feel like I'm doing something, (laughs) but um, for some reason, turkeys don't seem to hone in on that.
3: Okay, now with with their eyesight as well, do they see in three D, two D? I mean, is that a is that a thing for them?
4: Well, basically, if you are seeing, if you look through a telescope, I guess you could say that that's kind of like a two dimensional. Um okay. and I'm not sure, to be totally honest with you, if their brain process that processes that into a three D image or not. I've okay. never read anything about that, um, but as far as the comparison has always been you looking through a monocular or a one lens telescope. Okay. Very similar to that. All right. So or kind of like a wide angle lens almost. Yeah. So talking
1: about that, you said telescopic does that mean that like they can literally zoom?
4: No, no, they can't really, they, they can't zoom that eye, but it's that, that far out. Okay, so the telescopic reverse to the length of vision, how far they can see. I got you. And it's way, way out there, yes. And it's focused, you know, so it's this It's this one focal area. I don't know exactly what that cone angle would be, if you will, uh, how big that is or how wide that it gets out there, but that vision is both monocular and telescopic.
1: So there's not, basically you're saying there's not, like, any way for us to tell, like, like the, what the similar millimeter lens would be? Like you don't really not know. by how. anything,
4: not by any research I've found. So hmm. if somebody finds that, you know, drop a comment, let us know, I would love to find that research. And, you know, anything that you hear that's contrary to something that you've read or seen that's official, I would love that information. I am hungry for people to do real turkey research. You know, the University of Pennsylvania did some good research early on. Uh, Michigan, some other universities, but there is not a lot of stuff. There really isn't. And, you know, people want to compare the dissection to a chicken eye and other things. There's really no comparison. In fact, you'll see a lot of experts will say that the retina of the turkey is one of the most complex of vertebrates. So, you know, I'm always hungry for good stuff.
1: Why did we decide, hey, this is the animal we need to hunt?
4: <laughs> you see that
1: one with the best vision ever of yes, any right. mammal on earth? We should hunt that one. Uh so talking about just vision and and I think a lot of our questions have been around like why does a turkey do what it does? You know, like why how come I can like Adams you said, how come I can crawl up on one but they can see so good? Um chris does that have anything to do with like just their overall intelligence level
4: well you know people ask me that all the time how smart do you think a turkey is well their brain's about the size of your thumb but that brain is completely specialized for disseminating all the information of the senses that they have we already knew know that they don't use smell as a defense mechanism it's all about hearing and eyesight and so Are they constantly thinking or adapting? How long do they remember something? In my experience, I've hunted mature birds on public land that I know remember that I broke a stick walking to the roost at the last minute. And they remember that and will not fly down that direction the rest of the season. And so, you know, you start to correlate, well, how smart are they? And I think it almost always boils down to self-preservation. Are they really that smart or are they just so in tuned to staying alive i mean they're constantly being stalked by you know all kinds of predators up here the coyotes you know they'll slowly get them to walk into thick brush and then rush them and even grab them right out of the air because the turkeys can't take flight in the thick stuff and uh you know so the turkeys are constantly in tune to that and i think that's why they get smart they're just so used to having to survive for a living I mean, they're, you know, eating, breeding, and staying alive. That's that's all they got going on.
1: I always wondered if that was kind of the, I always wondered if that was kind of the reasoning for, like, what Matt said about ground blinds. Like, I've hunted turkeys in ground blinds before, and it's like, I can't think of a time that I ever saw a turkey spook at a ground blind. Like, they may have spooked because they saw me move, but... I've never seen one just spook at a ground blind. And sometimes I'll put it up right that day. Now I don't hunt from a ground blind much anymore. Um, but I have in the past and I've never seen one spook from it, but man at 350 yards across a field, I'm sitting in like the thickest blow down I can find. And somehow they still bust, bust me like yeah. that just blows my mind. And I wondered if that had to do with like that intelligence level. And, um, sounds like it could you know it could correlate to what you're saying about survival being the number
4: one self-preservation i think they have to be that way mm-hmm. nervous about everything to stay alive you know Because yeah. 300 yards away that could be a coyote just getting a visual and once they know that coyote's got a visual they know they're going to be in trouble at some moment right where is it going to come from so now they're on alert they're looking every direction they're listening and You know, you'll usually see a dominant hen around other hens. She all of a sudden, she'll quit feeding, and she'll stand there in perfect alert, watching everything while everybody goes about their lives around her, and she won't take a bite. She's going to be watching the entire time. It's usually something has put her on alert.
1: That's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's wild thinking about, It, man, a lot of times, I remember when I first started turkey hunting, and a lot of people, Think this? Who are not turkey hunters? They're like, oh, those dumb birds, and it's like, man, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if they're, they're dumb. only dumb when
4: it's not hunting season.
1: That's yeah, true. <laughs> That's true. It's just so complex. Like, there's so much in depth that you can do, even, uh, and I'm sure there's more with within the eyesight. I would imagine. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about yet on the eyesight is their night vision, their one rod. So that's kind of comparable to us with one rod. And I think, it's, you know, people are always asking, can they see me from the roost? Can they, you know, can they bust me walking in? What You know, that type of scenario before daylight. And I always like to correlate that to think of yourself hunting in a tree stand scenario. And the light has faded and, you know, five minutes ago you could see the deer real well and now they're black little blobs and shadows, and now all you can do is hear them. And you can kind of think of that from the roost in the morning, uh, from a turkey perspective as you're walking in, if you're in there early enough and it's dark enough, all they have is their hearing. And so they're really in tune to those sounds. And then, But as soon as it starts to get light enough and that ground starts to get highlighted by the sun, you're now an easy target to be seen. Especially if you snuck in you know, under the roof. I mean, you know, you're in trouble if the poop is falling on you in the morning and you didn't realize until you (laughs) look up and there they are. You just got in a little too close. Um, But uh, so I think, you know, at night, you know, when you're roosting birds, it's the same way. You can spook them out of the roost at night and you know, they're going to go to the next County. So if you think about what you can see at dark, they can see at dark and correlate that from being in a tree stand perspective. I think it'll really help you determine morning and evening which you can get away with.
1: Yeah, I can think of a lot of times, uh, even during deer, deer season, you go in with a, a light and you set up, get set up in your saddle or whatever, and first light gets here and there's turkeys in the tree that you're in and like how, why can't I get away with this deer yeah. and turkey season? Like I don't feel like this would ever happen, but if you're quiet enough, I think I think that's a I think I think you hit on that you know really sneaking in and getting in there you can actually get pretty close to them on the roost i have a question though about light uh and using hand, headlamps and like do they process light the same way that we do as well
4: i feel that they absolutely do uh, i mean i have had horrible headlamp uh scenarios usually Uh, When I'm guiding turkey hunts and you have a client that is one of those that really feels they have to have a light to walk in the woods, I already know I'm kind of in trouble. Um, I think that they can see that from the tree just like you would be able to see it from the tree stand. I think it stands out um, and I think they're immediately focused on it no matter where it is. And I haven't had any any, any success using colored lights either, like going to red or anything else. And since their color vision is so expanded more than ours, right? I mean, they have three more cones than we do. Um, I'm kind of apt to think that they can even see that red light. So when I go in, uh, lampless, there's no lights.
1: Um, Your only hope is
4: they got their head tucked under their wing if you're going to use a light.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm curious, does that have to do, do you think, with anything in the UV uh, relationship how well they can see uv Would that would any headlamps
4: i don't think that? so i don't think so because i think since light is is light right yeah i don't think that 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 is covered under the ultraviolet for them now they may see that light differently maybe it's brighter maybe it's more intense uh you know maybe it has a giant halo around it at night i mean i, I i've never read anything that kind of dissects that but I know for a fact that they've seen it. I know it's ruined my some of my hunts in, in the past, and uh, we stay away from it.
1: I saw you uh, held up a turkey skull in a, one of the videos that I watched. And you're talking about how small the head was, and how big the actual eye sockets are inside of that head. Like it takes up it se- seemingly like fifty percent of the whole skull. Yeah, almost
4: half. Yeah, almost half, and. And you got those ears right behind that that take up another big piece of the skull and the brain is just literally as big as your thumb <laughs> in between all those structures and you're like how can they be so smart you know they got their heads taken up by all this other stuff and you know they have a they do have a giant olfactory sense and i can't find any decent uh studies on their sense of smell but i'm thinking it's a little more complex than anybody realizes But we can just be thankful that they don't use it for danger, okay? It's not a defense mechanism for them. Um, Because how do they find acorns under the snow? You know, how do they know where to find things? You know, you guys, do you guys deal with snow where you're at? Absolutely not really. We just got rid of of two feet of snow here, okay? And, you know, you get into areas where the turkeys have been, and they will actually – get down and clean that off and get into and get into areas where there are were nuts from the fall and so you kind of gotta wonder are they doing that you know is there a sense of smell there that they have i mean i don't think they're identifying oak trees but who knows
1: uh you kind of mentioned talking about uh hearing and i think me and adam were talking about this uh the other day when we were when i first sent him the video and stuff Adam, we were talking about, like, why in the crap is it, like, they can hear you make the slightest little, like, tree yelp from, it seems like a mile away, you'll get a bird that gobbles at it, but you can literally almost talk just this loud 30 yards from a bird while you're about to kill it, and it doesn't spook it, Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that, I want to talk about their, like, their hearing and how complex that is as well.
4: That's a good question. It's very complex, and it seems from the studies that I can find that it is the higher ranges and the lower ranges that they are really in tune to. That mid-range of sound, um, you know, they can definitely hear that, but like you said, casual conversation sometimes doesn't seem to do much. I think a lot of that, too, has to do with them being focused on your decoy, your calling, and other things that they're kind of overlooking at that point point the sound because now they're focused and you get a turkey once it's locked onto those decoys there's nothing going to happen i mean you've seen videos of people scooching up to them while they're beating up your decoy because they are so focused and i think that's why you really get away with that i think if a turkey was screwing around behind you and you were whispering to the guy next to you i don't think you'd ever know that turkey was there i think he'd be in and gone and you wouldn't know but when it comes to their hearing they can literally hear over a mile away Over a mile away, they can hear uh, the gobble. That's why a gobble is so loud. You can hear that high-pitched hen from a long way away. But one of the vocalizations that people miss is the spitting and drumming. Have you ever had a turkey close enough to you when it was drumming that you felt it vibrate in your chest? That's that low-frequency sound, and it carries forever in the woods. We can't hear it, but they can. They can pick that up. And oftentimes you get a gobbler that's spitting and drumming and you haven't done a lot of calling and you'll see a rival come in it's because he's picking up on the spitting and drumming or he's heard that gobbling from way off and he's coming in to do battle uh so that that low pitch is travels forever in the woods for them and some of that is at frequencies we can't hear we don't even know what's going on it is so low And I don't think that they have a pitch that's higher than we can hear. I haven't read any studies on that, but that high pitch hand definitely goes a long way as well.
1: Now, um, has anybody ever done like a, like a DB, like a decibel meter on how loud that, that uh, like a spitting and drumming would actually
4: be? I'm sure they have. I'm sure it's out there. I haven't seen the data for that though.
1: That'd be interesting to know because like it would. the decibels, like it'd be crazy if you had like a, like, this is just me thinking out loud. If you had some type of like portable DB meter, um, if it would pick up in the woods, if you would see like, you know, if, if there's, let's say you got five turkeys in a, a square mile or something like that, if it would start like, picking up things that you can't actually hear with your natural ear. That'd be interesting. That'd be
4: an interesting you know who study. No, the answer to that question is Denny Galvis. Denny Galvis has been in the turkey industry forever. If you've ever been to an NWTF show, you've heard the name Denny Galvis. He did some of the original recordings and in-depth studies years ago and he probably has more audio on tape than anybody. And he'd be a good resource to find out about that.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested to know. Um and and not because I think people should be Like, I don't know, we kind of go through, I mean, chokes, choke tubes are, you know, crazy technology nowadays. And even the TSS, like we go through a lot of, uh, a lot of like non-traditional methods. Uh, I don't know that carrying around a meter to pick up on spitting and drumming would be much different, but it just seems like it would be as pure.
4: Uh Yeah. I I, I don't know how big of a a help that would be uh, for the end result, but uh, as far as them being able to hear, it is, it is crazy what they can hear. And I think, you know, for me early on too, I had to learn, I was hauling as loud as I could, as often as I could, you know, just banging on whatever I had to make noise. And, and you know, thinking that that's what you needed to do when you were turkey hunting. And I soon learned that, Less was always better, you know, except for certain situations and sometimes quieter was much better. And sometimes no calling at all, just raking your hands for the leaves is what was going to cinch the deal. And so, you know, you start to put that together based on sound and what they're hearing and makes you a better turkey hunter. We
2: talked a lot about the different turkey senses and how hard they are to kill. You know, you, you talked about it took you seven years. It took me quite a few years, too, and a lot of struggle. What finally clicked for you? Uh, what What was that one uh, piece of secret sauce when you thought, okay, I've went from struggling to kill turkeys to I feel like I got this thing down?
4: Wow. I, a culmination of everything, but I, I always go back to patience. I left the woods too early. I gave up too early and I didn't know my quarry at all. And, uh, you know, that little bit of an edge but, you know, I can't tell you how many more turkeys that, that we have killed because I'm um, staying another 10 minutes. And then after that 10 minutes is up, you're like 15 more minutes, you know, five more minutes. And then you're getting ready to leave and here they come, you know, or you get, you know, that silent one that's always been there that you had no idea. You start to see that white head, you know, going through the woods and he's never let you know he was there. Um, so I think patience is probably been number one. And then knowing my quarry, definitely right, right there next to it.
2: I got a real quick follow up to that because it brings up a good point. I think patience for some people means sitting in one spot where you think you know turkeys should be or have frequented, and patience for another might be I'm going to walk another mile away from the truck. Which category do you fall into, and where are you killing more turkeys at? Oh boy, that's
1: a cool dang Adam with the freaking. That's good. (laughs) <laughs> hey man i've lived this i've I lived that, that one
4: question. if i am confident that there's a turkey in the area i am happy to sit there until i know dinner's ready my wife's going to be mad or i'm going to lose my job happy to sit there if i'm confident that there's a turkey in the area if i have lost confidence or something has happened coyote came through somebody else walking through the woods four-wheeler i'm gone i'm moving i'm going that next mile If I hear an active bird and he's, you know, quarter mile away and I haven't had anything happen for a while, I'm definitely closing the distance. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to chase that bird. I'm going to move locations. So, you know, those are the circumstances, but like if I'm in an area and I've heard them or seen them fly down and maybe they gobbled on the roost, hit the ground and shut up, I'm liable to sit there forever (laughs) until... I have a reason to move. Like now I hear active gobbling and they're not coming towards me. I can't break them or whatever. Now I'm going to, I'm going to adjust.
1: I I can think on uh, off the top of my head of in the last two years, um, four different gobblers that I shot that I didn't know were there, you know, or maybe I knew they were somewhere close by but I didn't know, I didn't know they were coming. You know, it was just from, I know they're here. I, I heard them or the signs here. I've seen them in the last two days. I've seen them around here. Like that's the, I can think of four, four different gobblers that I killed just like that um, from just sitting still. You see that more.
4: You're going to see that more. We have more people in the woods. We have a higher predator rate than we've ever had before with the decrease of trapping and nuisance control. And so, you know, now your turkeys hit the ground and they are often silent because you have to remember they do not have to gobble to communicate. Okay, the gobbler can spit and drum and even talk and back and forth with the hens without ever gobbling. Uh, You know, as long as he knows where the hens are, he's happy because he can, you know, get close enough to do his thing. But I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of silent birds, more difficult birds. We have more hunters, this influx post COVID of having all these new hunters in the woods, which is great. is going to change the dynamic a little bit. And I don't have a problem with that. I think it makes it more challenging and actually a little bit more fun, uh, even though it's more difficult, but that um, I think that that's a good point to make that you're going to see more and more silent birds in the future.
1: What if we are in a phase let's just everybody's gonna all all the christian people are gonna hear this and freak out on me i don't mean it this way but what if we are in a phase of evolution of the wild turkey and in a hundred years they don't even gobble (laughs) they're not even gobbling animals
3: and they smell
1: and they can smell good all
4: right well um I am, I'm an adaptationist, not an evolutionist. Hmm. So I think that the wild turkey can adapt to anything to stay alive Can adapt to anything to stay alive. Um, I don't see any of their structures that have changed in the history of recording turkeys, pieces and parts and everything that they do, nor any other animal. But everything adapts to live and the turkeys have done it extremely well. Now. Chris, do you
1: know much about like the different subspecies of turkeys? Like, for example, Merriam's, uh, seem to gobble at everything a lot more than say an Eastern. Um, and I mean, I've seen places in, when I hunted in Nebraska, I've never seen more hunting pressure in one place than I saw right there, even in Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, I've never seen more turkey hunting pressure. Um, are, are there things within their individual biologies that cause that?
4: Um, I cannot speak to that question because I have never hunted anything but Easterns and I've hunted them in a lot of States, but I don't have my, my goal is to, you know, eventually get the slam, but I have been on Easterns and I've never hunted anything else. I would say that, They would be adapted differently per terrain and everything else that they have to learn to hunt in, mountains, desert, sand, you know, all that certainly would play a part just in the difference between terrain here in Ohio. When you go over to PA, those birds behave a little bit differently just because of their environment. So I would assume that it would be the same based on environment, but I'm sure there's probably some different adaptations for those birds as well.
1: That would be an interesting study that maybe somebody has done that. Uh, I, I would love to see. Like, I would even love to see um, when I go from, uh, shoot, let's uh, not throw anybody under the bus. When I go from here uh, in Alabama to, um, I'm gonna have to Tennessee. Sorry, Adam. He's going to. Well, <laughs> I couldn't think of another example. I apologize, but <laughs> but I have definitely been able to tell that there is a difference in gobbling activity. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that I see more sign of turkeys. I see plenty of sign of turkeys here, but I definitely see the turkeys in Tennessee gobble more often. I would love to see like, if there's a study on like turkeys in flat terrain, gobble more than turkeys in, in the Hills
2: or vice versa, you know,
4: or a Miriam's verse sending an uh, Eastern. Mm -hmm. for that matter, yeah yeah i'll
2: give you another scenario though parker what about a hardwoods turkey for lack of a better term versus a field turkey because i've noticed that field turkeys just gobble their doggone heads off versus one that you're hunting in the hills and the hardwoods like it's just two totally different birds could that potentially be a reason you think chris yeah you
4: know i don't i don't know i here in Ohio, we hunt giant fields and we hunt big timber, both. And again, it just seems to be the bird and the area and the pressure that we see. Often, like, our fields are vast enough that most guys won't walk to the back of one. You know, some of them are, you know, the good half mile walk to get back there and you know, just like our public land here, most of your guys are going to walk in a couple hundred yards, sit down, call, and and then leave. So those certain turkeys in that area behave totally different than the turkeys in the other. I also think that turkeys in the wide open call maybe a little bit more or less based on are they hearing anything back? Are they getting anybody's attention? Are they trying to keep hens in that wide open area in the timber you know, you got so much going on. Generally when we see turkeys in the timber, the gobblers aren't far behind. They're right with the hens all the time. Where you see those lone birds out in the field without any hens. And I think that might attribute to more gobbling in the in the field because they're loners.
3: Yeah. Th- that's pretty that's pretty neat. And I've I've kind of thought the same thing, but you think maybe, you know, when they're in the field, they can see, you know, when they're gobbling, they're given the vocalization to tell them where they are. So all their predators, you know, coyotes, humans, bobcats, whatever, know where they are when they're given, you know, this vocalization. Well, when they're in the a pasture, they can see a wider area uh, versus in the timber, they're kind of more stricken down to where you know, there's more ambush points, you know, that, that also, you know, in my thought, you know, that may be a and
1: you know, you may agree on that.
4: Oh, I do agree. I think that's a very good point to make. Very good. That And that's you know. even
1: a common sense point. I think, um, taking something that maybe we're talking about being a, like a scientific or something like that, like that just makes a lot of sense, right? He can see what's coming. So he's going to gobble and until he sees a human or a coyote or something like that. And he's going to just sit there and gobble.
4: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you got that after the rain thing, you know, for us here, we can guarantee after a spring rain, the birds are all in the field. They're going to leave the hardwoods. They're going to come out into that field and, you know, they want to get dry. There's plenty of food, but also the timber now all of a sudden has become quiet. So their predators can sneak up on them in the timber at that point where in the field, they have such great vision that they can stay one step ahead. And so I think it's a culmination of all those things that draw the birds out into that field and the gobbling would secondarily, I think, uh, Matthew, I think that's a great point.
1: So kind of moving forward on different senses and, and, you know, different uh, skills you mentioned earlier, about really paying attention and i've heard a lot of people say this before in the past but paying attention to what you find in that crop and uh using you know a harvested turkey turkey that you killed that day and uh maybe helping yourself kill one another day in the future tell me a little bit about that and kind of uh i guess maybe just a brief overview of it before we get it dive deep into it
4: yeah sure so when a turkey eats, it fills this crop. Crop can hold a pound or more of food. And so oftentimes they want to get that full so they can go about their business and not have to worry about feeding throughout the day. Um, the contents in that crop is only in there for a couple hours and then it moves right to the gizzard. Uh, the giz- gizzard is also called the ventricular gastric mill. And basically it's a grinder station. So anything that gets in there, the gizzard is grinding. Uh, that's why they eat grit, gravel, rocks, things like that. That's how they have to break down the shells of the nuts and other uh, more fibrous uh, substances is those rocks are grinding within the gizzard. And it does act just like a grain mill where you're rubbing these surfaces over. And that is where, you know, a lot of neat things take place. I don't know, A lot of guys collect uh, gizzard stones, if you will. Um, I know that, you know, I have jars of them laying around from different areas, but uh, what's neat about that whole process is since the food does not stay in the crop very long, if you shoot a turkey and its crop is full, you can identify where that turkey was before you shot it. So from the roost until you pulled the trigger, you know where that turkey has been based on what's in the crop. Now I never paid any attention to that early on. I thought, so what, it's got grass, it's got grain, it's got some bugs and this and that. Then I really started paying attention. Uh, One year we were hunting a swampy area. We worked all season long for one particular bird. It was just really smart, fly down different every time, continuously busted us. We were after the same bird for 14 days straight. And then we finally harvested the bird. And when I looked at its crop, it was full of teeny tiny little tubers, just a little uh, emerging tuber if you will. And I recognized that tuber from a place that I had seen them growing along a creek bank almost a half mile away. And so that bird in the morning for a, a, its two hour journey to where we killed it had stopped eight at that particular location and then made its way almost a half mile to where we killed it once i found that food source where that bird was stopping that became a place and still is to this day where we can kill a turkey almost every single time we go because they are making their way to those tubers right off the roost and getting mm-hmm. some food right away and so it just became a, a you know a neat thing because of examining the crop Same thing if you find crickets, most of the time, or grasshoppers, if they're packed with a whole big mound of grasshoppers in their crop, they didn't get all those in the hardwoods. They're out there in the grasses, in the fields, somewhere. Find that location. You're going to know where they're spending a lot of time. And knowing that can be the key to unlocking a secret spot for yourself, a good spot for a second bird if you have multiple birds that you're allowed to shoot in your state, um, so for me, that's vital information. What's in the crop?
1: That's. Uh... Can
3: you send us a picture of those tubers?
4: Yeah, I can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about I the can. tubers. <laughs>
4: tell you about the tubers, <laughs> and you know, and it'll be different for you guys. It'll be something else, maybe a um, a, uh, a certain berry that fell in the in the fall, and now all that's left is the seed. And those turkeys are honing in on those seeds. And you can find the seeds will still be pretty intact in the gizzard if you miss finding them uh, in the crop. But the crop contents is often very, very key. If you're seeing water bugs, if you will, in the crop, um, like damselfly larva, dragonfly larva, things like that, you got a bird that's spending some time picking along the creek or next to a pond or a swamp or something. Finding those little key areas can be the key to unlocking a wealth of information many times, especially on our old smart bird. Do you
1: think it is, um, it's fair to say that you maybe look for the most unique or uh, the rarest contents that are in there? So like, so like if you got a turkey whose crop is full of uh, acorn, right? You. Those can be literally anywhere, but maybe there's a like the tubers that you're talking about mixed in with that, finding that thing that maybe isn't everywhere, not widespread.
4: Yeah, that that is definitely the key to it, finding that one thing that isn't everywhere. But if you are a true whitetail guy and you've done your whitetail homework in the same woods you're turkey hunting in, you know what oaks produced that year. And if you really know your oaks and you can look and say, oh, that's a red, a white or a pin. And you can say, oh, well, that's a bunch of pin oaks, they're only over here. That'll start really helping you hone in, not only on your whitetail skills, but that passes off to your spring turkey. So if you're paying attention in the fall, what's going on in your, in your deer woods, and you're hunting that in the spring, you can really correlate all that good information. Now, a turkey isn't as picky as a whitetail. Whitetail's gonna go to those white oaks first, right? And uh, pin oaks, and then they're gonna go to the reds last. Well, the turkey is going to eat any acorn it can find. It doesn't care what kind it is. So, but just knowing where those trees are is enough to help you a lot as well.
1: Do you know if turkeys are uh, like deer where a deer can, it knows what its body needs to survive. So it gets a certain amount of uh, protein, certain amount of fat, certain amount of carbohydrates, whatever. Do you know if turkeys are the kind of the same way?
4: Um, From dissecting them and them being omnivores, I don't know that they are mentally thinking that my body needs this, this, or this. I think they do such a good job of there's a worm, I ate it, there's a bug, I ate it, there's an acorn, there's some grass. Oh, I love the leaves on that clover right there. I think that they naturally get all that being omnivorous. And I don't think that they have to focus on anything. Now I do think that there's things that they hone in on and prefer. So let's say you are in a mode field and there's some dandelions coming up. They will go and pick the heads off every one of those dandelions before they do something else. And then they'll, after that's exhausted, they'll move to the next food source. So rather than it being a thing of them actually feeling that they're missing out on something, I think that they're just in tune So grabbing, knowing what's best with them, maybe UV plays a part in that for the flowers. So like the hummingbirds know this flower has the most nectar. Maybe the turkey says, oh, that flower has the most nutrition because my eye told me it did. Um, I can't prove that, but I know that I've watched them go through and just eat the violets, you know, going down a path and leave everything else alone. And violets are so high in vitamin A and C and some other proteins for them. I just think that that's the way it works out.
1: Is there anything that you've seen uh, as a consistent like they like this the most?
4: Well that's so regional. Yeah. you know I think that I think that's very regional. Like for me here, there's always white oak acorns. If the acorns produced, there's always going to be acorns and I know that I can find them under the trees that have produced the year before. Um, if the dandelions are popping, or like I said, the violets in certain areas, I know that if they're coming through there, they're going to at least stop and check it out and pick through some of that stuff. And then there's areas where there's bug hatches too that happen. I don't know if you have that down there, but you know, you know, get for a better lack of terms, I like get a mayfly hatch where you got all these insects out at once. Here we had the year of the cicadas this year. If you were in a cicada zone the turkeys were going nuts, right? I mean, talk about great, stupid protein. They don't have to work to get it. And so they take advantage <laughs> of those situations. And I just think us as hunters, if we're paying attention, we can take advantage of the same thing.
1: That's, uh, that's, that's so cool. I think uh, we've, we've talked to people, I know, um, especially down here in the South, you get a lot of like, old timers old timer turkey hunters that have just been a hardcore and that it may be that way everywhere. But I know down here we, we have like everybody who's listening is, think is uh, thinking of somebody right now. is just like an old timer turkey hunter. And the thing that they always talk about is woodsmanship. And so I'll tell you the thing that I think about when I think about woodsmanship, um, I don't know why I think every word has like an association To it, the thing that when somebody says, "Oh, he's a good good woodsman," for whatever reason, I think about like a pioneer, like Daniel Boone type guy, pick up a pile of poop and do like that with it to see the contents of it. Right? Um, When they're tracking down an animal, figuring out what they're, how fresh is it? You know, how what what's in it? Um, That's my thought when I think of woodsmanship. And I think, uh, as goofy as this sounds, that's really what I feel like with this and when you talk about woodsmanship, obviously you're talking about terrain, habitat, um, but really keying in on some of these food sources, it really does like lead you in in your pursuit and in your hunt for whatever it is that you're hunting, in this case turkeys. Um, yeah. knowing that food source is such a big thing.
4: I agree and, and you know I, I feel a lot unfortunately that we've some people have lost their woodsmanship skills, if you will. If you talk to a successful whitetail hunter who on public land consistently shoots 150 class whitetail, I guarantee you they got some skills, right? They know where the food is. They know where the thermals are. They know all the nooks and crannies of the pattern and patches of where they're coming out of bedding and cover and all this. Turkeys are the same exact way. If you can hone your woodsmanship skills just a little bit, it will improve your turkey hunting immensely really will. And it's fun. For me, that's the fun part. First of all, turkeys are tough as it is. You're working, you're calling them in, you're doing the work, you're responding, you're having communication and dialogue with them. And if you are in an area where they're really tough and you add all that woodsmanship to it, it really makes the harvest all that more sweet, you know, it really does. And in Ohio, it's been tough here between creditors and really wet springs and having enough birds and they just decreased our, uh, our, our turkeys to one gobbler a year. Uh, this year, we could previously shoot two. So now that harvest is going to be even more sweeter because now I'm going to be picky. I'm not going to shoot the two-year-old. I'm looking at spurs. Okay. I don't care <laughs> if it has a nubby little beard. If it's got inch and a half spurs, that's, that's the bird I want. Right. And so kind of changes the game a little bit and that all plays a part into the reward of it. That is cool, man. Uh, I'm,
1: It's just getting me fired up. I'm so fired up. And I'm going to sound really cool when I go turkey hunting with some dude and we kill a bird and I'm like looking through its crop and I'm like, oh, yeah, look at these tubers, you know? And, um, like, do y'all get like that? I, I do. When I listen to something on a podcast and I just have a reason to spout it off in a conversation, like, just for side, it. (laughs) Like, I had a buddy, uh, Blake Eccles, who was the original co host of the show. Um, Years ago, when I first started, and we were sitting around talking one day. Um, we were talking about pigs, wild pigs, or something like that. And I spouted off some fact that I heard Steve Ranella say on the meat eater podcast. And Blake looks at me and he goes, You've been listening to meat eater, huh? I was like, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I can barely much, pronounce the words he says. I know it, I know it. Well, man, do you guys have any more questions for Chris? I think I'm, I think my brain's about fried. I don't know that I could retain a whole lot more turkey info. We, we could be here all night. Yeah. Man, I'm I'm fired
2: up. I've got a silly question because it, you, you made a comment in your video on the, the turkey vision video. And I wish I'd have wrote it down so I could, could have quoted you. But you made a comment about um, camouflage. And it made me think that you were um, referencing the fact that you needed to and i'm going to mess this up like have not matching camo but uniformity of camo do you think that's important like do you think it's important to have if you had on qu pants and a mossy oak bottomland top do you think that's like going to make you stand out
4: i don't i think okay it's about breaking up your human form and sometimes that's best accomplished by having unmatched stuff right mm-hmm. i'm a huge fan of leafy camo huge Huge. And I think that that makes all the difference in the world. There was a product years ago that I was involved with called Bush in a Bag. And it was a a poncho with sleeves that you kind of wore and then it draped out around you and you had no human outline whatsoever. And it's just the best for turkeys. I think if you can lose your form, no matter how you do it, I think that's where the success is. Be the woods, Adam. Be the woods. Be the tree. You just
1: got to learn to become one with the tree. One with nature. That's what it's all yes. about, right? <laughs> all right, guys. Well, Chris, thanks a lot for coming on, man. And uh, sure. tell us, tell us, I know you said you were going to drop some more videos here in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. So on the
4: uh, uh, flick your Broadheads YouTube website, search it out. Uh, one drop a day that is about digestion. And we get into their whole mouth structure Uh, Their tongue, their taste buds, uh, the papillae, how they eat, swallow, where it goes. We dissect the gizzard, we dissect the crop, we show all that. I'm actually dissecting the bird on the video, and then we have some other follow ups to that as well. So, and and like I said, our channel, we concentrate on education more than sales. Um, You know, all of us hunters are in this together, and we need to be helping each other out. We need to bring up the new generation, we need to get kids in the woods. We need to really focus because we're going to be run into a situation like every other country where our rights and uh, abilities are going to be under attack. And if we're not a unified front, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, so I've been privileged to be able to work for Afflictor and have a boss that says, you know what, let's put education above sales. And so that has really been a great platform for us. You know,
1: I think that is so cool, guys, that when I – listening to Chris talk and and share this information I hear I've heard a lot of people on different social media forums and things they talk about they they say kind of what you said Chris they said uh I see people say the art of woodsmanship's been lost but nobody ever really gives like a resource Um, and I think it's because most people probably don't have that art most of those people that are saying that probably don't have that Art of wood woodsmanship. They're they're figuring out everything on Facebook, like the new guy is. Um, but the I feel like the resource that you just provided, even on this podcast and on the videos that you're doing, they're not cop out resources. They are they're literally just kind of translations. Um, you know, if you're reading uh, a, a Spanish translated into English for you, it helps you understand what it is that you're actually looking for. So as a a guy, when I started turkey hunting, I knew nothing about it. I didn't understand any of it. And so all of it was just listening to guys like you. Everybody can cut open that crop and see what's in it. But does it really matter if you don't know the purpose behind looking at that? You know what I'm saying? And so the woodsmanship still has to grow. Um but you're giving people an opportunity to know what they're looking at and to know what to look for, which I think is really cool. So thanks so much, Chris.
4: It's up to us. It's up to us. I didn't kill a turkey for seven years because nobody helped me. I I mean, I had a lot of hunters in my family. Nobody ever hunted a turkey. They didn't know. And so, you know, the school of hard knocks made it fun and interesting. Um, But I think we have a great opportunity to be able to help, you know, new hunters, young hunters all the time. We got to take advantage of it.
1: That's good stuff, man. Well, thanks again. coming on the show we really appreciate it
4: yeah thanks for having me guys good luck in the turkey woods you too
1: thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the southern ground hunting podcast as always a big shout out to all of our partners that's go wild spartan forge tethered new canoe and scree gear you can keep up with southern ground hunting by following us on facebook and instagram or you can subscribe to us on the youtube channel make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.